It is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast with your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. What do we have on tap? Well, only way to find that out, you have to tune in. You have to grab your ticket, get on board, put your seatbelt on. Most importantly, enjoy the ride. That's right. It is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your host and your conductor, Anthony Smith. And we are getting ready to get this train on the track. So let's get rolling. train sports talk podcast with your host and conductor anthony smith grab your tickets get on board and enjoy the ride it's the a train sports talk podcast all aboard The A Train Sports Talk Podcast. Number one podcast in all the state of Kansas. Someday. I am elated today because I have a special guest on. And I'm just going to say it like we say it at church. I will introduce to some and present to others because that means he's been on the train before. A young man with aspirations and dreams. And I am elated even more so because he has something that he wants to share. And he wants to do it on my podcast. So that makes me feel even double honored. I'm talking about none other than my good friend, my adopted little brother, Mr. Jordan Manning. Man, Jordan, how's it going? Not much. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Glad to have you back on again. Man, I'm blessed, man. Glad to be back. So, you kind of teased at us last week when we was on here. You said you had some news, but you didn't want to tell it until all the I's were dotted, all the T's were crossed. And I'll even go ahead and say it like this. Make sure that a O looks like an O and a Q looks like a Q, right? We wanted to make sure everything was to the letter and to the T. Yep. So with that being said, and another reason I am related to have this young man on because he has had doors slammed in his face, frustrated at times, but didn't give up, which led to the announcement that he has today. Jordan? floor is yours man appreciate it but yeah you know kind of go back on to what you were saying you know um, just a career field that i'm pursuing and when sports media you know it all relates to you know like broadcasting journalism you know behind the scenes stuff you know like that kind of thing just being uh 
in the career about it in the sports media world and stuff like that and uh you know i lost my job at french university over the school year um just some things it wasn't anything you know on my end it was just like you know like one of those they want to go with somebody that they felt like was better but you know there's more it's more into it as to you know how things happen and then stuff like that but you know i went back on to the job searching scene and was looking for jobs and you know obviously a lot of them turned me down or they didn't reach back out to me or um you know they went with other candidates and stuff so you know it was getting frustrating it was getting very uh discouraging at times where i started to even question if it was meant to be for me as far as like you know with this type of career and everything but then um about three and a half four weeks ago um this particular school came around and uh you know i got in touch with their ad and you know kind of talked some things up went out to the school for an interview met with some more people while i was out there and then probably about a week week and a half two weeks later from the interview they uh you know gave me the the call the email tags you know basically saying that i got the job and not only did i get the job that i applied for uh, they gave me another position to work to where it would help me get my living paid for for free. Um, it would get my apartment furnished. My, they furnished my apartment for me. You know, they didn't have to do any of that. And, um, you know, I'll also be in, working with student life. So um, except I will be moving to uh, Sterling, Kansas here in a couple about a week, week and a half, and uh, I'll be working for Sterling College this upcoming school year as the assistant sports information director and assistant uh, residence director for the school. It's wrong, but let me try that again. That's the one we're looking for. So with all the doors being slammed in your face to finally get to where you are at, right now mm -hmm. and there is a saying that goes like this there's going to be a lot of cliches that you might hear me use but i know you went through some dark hours some dark yeah. hours some hours of doubt setting in but then eventually day broke and the saying goes like this the darkest hour right before daybreak yep what did it take for you to have to hold on through those dark hours and just you know just keeping keeping my faith and you know just just trusting god that you know he had something out there for me you know a lot of people uh built me up and stuff like that and you know one particular person that uh really you know just gave me that extra boost was uh my good friend Elijah Smith, uh, he was my roommate fresh my freshman year of college. And, you know, even when he left that semester that year, you know, we still talked literally, you know, every single day. Um, and, you know, the reason why I brought his name up is because, you know, sadly, about almost a month ago, while he was living up in uh, Chapel Hill, North Carolina, I, it was a, a shooting that happened. And, uh, you know, he he was the victim of the shooting, and uh, 
probably about a week and a half later from the shooting, he ended up, you know, passing away, you know, yeah, he put up a good fight, but, you know, God wanted him home. So, you know, that, you know, losing him definitely hurt a lot. And, you know, and it still does to this very day. But I knew, but I know that, you know, he would be telling me like, hey, keep going right now. You know, keep pushing, keep fighting and stuff like that. And, you know, even as happy as I could be, you know, knowing that I got this job, you know, it still like hurts knowing that, you know, he can't be here to celebrate with us. And, you know, when I brought that up to certain people, they was like, man, you, if you know, it's like, you obviously know how, you know, Eli was, you know, he's, you know, he up in heaven looking down at you right now with that big smile on your, on his face saying how proud he, how proud he is. And, you know, like way to go J-Dub because he gave me the nickname J-Dub because, you know, I'm from Kansas and, you know, Wichita, we call us the, ourselves the dub, you know, and, so, you know, I'm, he's he's definitely been like, you know, like a guardian angel type, so to speak, for me. And he's definitely been a big reason why, you know, I've continued to push through. And I know that, you know, I'm going to keep doing everything, you know, first for God. And But I know that, you know, Eli, he's going to be a big part of big part of me now, you know, to help me get through everything. So you got the job, assistant sports information director, but you also said something about student life. And with that being said, because one of the things I know that is very dear to your heart, and we're right here in the city of Wichita, is there are a lot of young people losing their lives to senseless killings. Mm -hmm. So I would imagine working with student life, you'll get to work with young people as well, too. Yep. Mm -hmm. Which now gives you an extra added platform because you have two jobs there. So now young people can take a look at you and see what you're doing. And now you can also impart into young people as well, too. So in essence, this was actually the job that was meant for you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That way now you can be a testimony to you went through the dark hours, but now your day is break, is broken. And you may be able to impart it to someone that's looking to give up on whether it be their sports career, whether their scholastic career. What would you tell a young person that may be going through something now, knowing that you had to go through what you went through to get to where you're at now? Yeah, I mean, you know, outside of uh, one thing I will say, too, is that, you know, outside of working for the school, you know, I want to impact their lives. You know, I want them to, you know, be able to come talk to me, come, you know, if they need to talk about anything, if they need anything, you know, like, like I want to be like a mentor figure, role model for these kids, you know, because I've been in their shoes. I went to school for five straight years. So I know what they're all going through and stuff like that. And, you know, I just want to be that example, be a good example and, you know, build a legacy out there at Sterling and, you know, I just want to, you know, just, just be the best person I can be out there for the community, not just the school, but just the community and the town out there. And, you know, I was just telling them, Hey, don't give up, keep fighting, you know, like, Hey, you know, God got a plan for you and, you know, the best is yet to come. And, you know, I truly believe that with everybody, you know, not just me, not just you, but anybody, I truly believe the best is yet to come for everybody. Absolutely. One of the things I will say, because you mentioned sports journalism, sports broadcasting, and 
And I know deep down that's still within your passion. And I know you're not that's not that's not gonna die. And I would say it like this, I think you're in a unique position where you may end up with a third job, which may end up, even if it's on a part-time basis, you may end up, who knows? Can we get you to call a game or two? If if that were to happen, I'm pretty sure your answer, hands down, would be, yes, I'd be glad to. Oh, yes, most definitely. So, with that being said, let me ask you a question. Who are some of the people that you watch, whether it be on ESPN, Fox Sports, or even locally, who are some of the people that influence you as far as, you know, having that passion for maybe sports broadcasting or journalism? I mean, you know, uh, Mike Kennedy, he's a local guy, Dave Dahl, um, you know, those are two really big people. Um, you know, Jay Billis, Dick Vitale, um, you know, they're, they're, they're Adam Adman. Um, yeah, it's, it's a big list of people that I, you know, watched a lot, um, you know, and stuff. So I, I really just look at how they do things and then you know, I take it on some film that I have of myself and, you know, try to see, you know, what areas I can do better and improve on. You know, I'm always wanting to improve to obviously be the, the best that I can be. And, uh, you know, like I said, I'm just ready and I'm excited and I'm looking forward to it. You know, I'm looking forward to getting things started. Well, once again, I can't begin to say how elated and how thrilled and happy I am for you for this brand new journey. And I, I have to give a shout out because there's a reason that we are connected. There's a young lady, she probably would never, well, if I tell her to listen to it, she'll listen to it. But had it not been for one Brandy Tarver, we wouldn't know about each other. And what got my attention was when I seen you was doing your internship at a radio station that I worked at once upon a time. I'm like, I need you to get me in touch with him. I want him. I didn't know nothing about you, but I knew I wanted you to be a guest on my podcast. And as fate would have it, we got hooked up, we got connected, we ran some podcasts, and I know you shared it. And the reason I know you shared them because I think on one of them, and it was the one where the audio even cut out still had 20 plus listeners on, on that podcast which lets me know it's not about me but sometimes it's about the people that i have on and you are i i'm gonna let it be known i believe that you are a very influential person and that the position that you're in you're going to be an impact on people's lives so once again i am happy elated and thrilled for you but i had to put that shout out in there Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't be in contact with each other. Oh yeah, most definitely. She's she's definitely uh, you know, she's definitely a big part of my life. You know, she's been through the uh, through the good, the bad, the ugly. You know, she she's been there. You know, she's definitely one person that I know that without a shadow of a doubt, if I need something, she gonna be there. She will drop what she's doing to you know make sure that I'm okay, make sure that I'm good. You know, and stuff like that. You know, yeah, we joke around. And yeah, you know, we do. You know, we do this, we do that. But at the same time, at the end of the day, um, she's definitely been a big blessing. She's definitely one of the most realest people that I've ever interacted with. And you know, she's always gonna be a part of my like my trust circle. And you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm blessed. You know, I'm blessed that that I get to know her. And 
stuff like that. And, you know, she's just, she's just been a big help. She, she definitely, I mean, she gets on my butt too. She does. Yeah. When I that her. most definitely. She wouldn't be her if she didn't do it. And <laughs> but, you know, at the end of the day, she's always going to look out for, for her people. She always going to, you know, be there for everybody. And, you know, I, like I said, I'm, I'm definitely blessed and grateful for that. Absolutely. Well, I think time has been well spent. We, I'm glad, once again, you want to share that news on my podcast. And, uh, you know, there, there is one more name I want to throw out at you. And I want you to give me your take on this guy right here. Stuart Scott. Yep. Mm-hmm. He Very was a, familiar with Stuart. He was a big staple on ESPN, the way he would bring the highlights. I mean, I would have to say he was one of the best. Mm-hmm. What What were some of the things that you probably took from him? And, you know, he, you know, God rest his soul, you know, but during his time here, you know, I definitely, I definitely watched a lot of how he analyzed things and how he just interacted with players and people and you know same thing you know he did it he didn't do it for him he did it for the impact on people's lives that he wanted to make and interact with absolutely well once again i want to say thank you once again for riding on the train a train i'm always glad to be here and you'll have to keep us posted throughout the year on the job, how things are going, and how the landscape of a, and what was that called? You say Sterling, right? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Let us know what's going on at Sterling. You know, keep us updated throughout the football season. Uh, if you can, get us in touch with some coaches. We'll be glad to talk to some coaches because uh, mm-hmm. as the season is approaching, I'm getting ready to relaunch the coaches' corner. So I would love to talk to some coaches: basketball, baseball, volleyball. Give me some players because I got another. Uh, Second is going to be called Player Spotlight. So, would love to get to talk to some of them, get you guys some more notoriety, get you guys out there in the limelight. Let us know what's going on at Sterling College. So, with that being said, with that being said, once again, I want to thank you for being on the A Train Sports Talk podcast. And I'm pretty sure the people here love you. Yeah, they do. (laughs) I can tell by their applause. They just love you to death. Oh, yeah, most definitely. So we will hook up once again. This is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, your host and conductor with my special guest, Jordan Manning, assistant sports information director at Sterling College, and also, uh, what was the other position, student life? Uh, assistant residence director. Assistant residence director. Once again, Jordan Manny. We'll be back on the other side of this break. We have a lot to get to. It's going to be a loaded show. Uh, we got the Brittany Griner situation to talk about. Tomorrow uh, on Bill Russell, the impact he made not just on the court, but off the court. Along with some more. So stay tuned. It's the A Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. It is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. 
it's time for us all to grow together. So, if you would like to have your ad ran on the A-Train Sports Talk podcast, simply reach out to me at a.trainsportstalk at gmail.com or at 316-553-2010. Or, if you would like to sponsor a segment, you can also reach me at a.trainsportstalk at gmail.com or 316-553-2010. So, let's grow together. It is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. The A Train Sports Talk Podcast with your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. Grab your tickets, get on board, and enjoy the ride. It's the A Train Sports Talk Podcast. All aboard! Welcome back to the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, your host and your conductor, Anthony Smith. Giving you nothing but the headlines as I get them. And there are some headlines. The Brittany Griner situation. As if it couldn't get any worse. Especially on something that should be deemed a misdemeanor. It's being treated as if it's a big time drug smuggling charge. Even with the plea for leniency. Brittany Griner found guilty in Russian court, sentenced to nine years in prison. Inside her middle courtroom cage, a solemn stone-faced Brittany Griner learned how long she'll be locked away in Russian prison if the Biden administration can't broker a deal to secure her release. A Russian judge handed down a harsh nine-year sentence on Thursday, rejecting the WNBA's emotional apology and plea for leniency for the honest mistake of bringing less than a gram of cannabis oil into the country last February. Griner was found guilty of drug possession and drug smuggling with criminal intent. The judge fined her 1 million rubles, roughly 16,300 U.S. dollars, in addition to sentencing Griner to just shy of the maximum 10 years that she was eligible to receive. As the judge announced Griner's verdict in Russian, a translator relayed what was said to the WNBA star. Griner displayed little emotion besides an occasional shake of her head or purse of her lips, but her supporters weren't nearly so silent. 
Standing outside the courthouse, Elizabeth Rue, Deputy Chief of Mission at the U.S. Embassy in Moscow, called the ruling a miscarriage of judge justice. President Biden echoed that soon afterward, describing Griner's nine-year sentence as unacceptable and pledging to work tirelessly to pursue every possible avenue to bring her home. I call on Russia to release her immediately so she can be with her wife, loved ones, friends, and teammates, Biden added. In a joint statement to reporters, Griner's attorneys, Maria Black Valina and Alexander Boykov called her nine-year sentence absolutely unreasonable and said they will certainly file an appeal. As legal professionals, we believe that the court should be fair to everyone regardless of nationality, the attorney's statement said. The court completely ignored all the evidence of the defense and mostly, and most importantly, the guilty plea. This contradicts, contradicts the existing legal practice. The judge's ruling comes nearly six months after she flew into a Moscow airport and Russian customs official allegedly found 0.702 grams of cannabis oil in her luggage. That's less than the weight of a pen cap or a stick of gum. Yet prosecutors allege it was enough to meet the significant amount threshold under Russian law and asked the judge to sentence Griner to nine and a half years in prison. In her final statement to the judge at the end of closing arguments on Thursday, an emotional Griner apologized to her family, her teammates, and her Russian club for the embarrassment I brought on them. I never meant to hurt anybody, she said. I never meant to put in jeopardy the Russian population. I never meant to break any laws here. I made an honest mistake, and I hope that in your ruling that it doesn't end my life here. I know that everybody keeps talking about political pawns and politics, but I hope that it's far from this courtroom. I want to say again that I had no intent of breaking Russian laws. I had no intent. I did not conspire or plan to commit this crime. That Griner's words fell on deaf ears was no surprise. Experts have said for weeks that the real purpose of Griner's trial was to paint a veneer of legitimacy on the criminal's desire to hold her until it could extract concessions out of the U.S. for her return. A guilty verdict and a long sentence were the outcome that gave Russia the most leverage with the Biden administration facing mounting pressure to bring her home. Look, the Russians are good at this stuff, unfortunately, said former State Department Foreign Services Officer David Salvo the deputy director of the Alliance for Securing Democracy and an expert on Russian foreign policy. It's just a really unfortunate scenario for, for Brittany. You have a heavily politicized case with lots of attention all over American society and lots of pressure on the Biden administration. The Russians are going to try to get every bit they can out of this. At the time, at the same time as Griner's trial was unfolded inside a cramped courtroom outside Moscow. The question of her fate has also been discussed at the highest level of U.S.-Russian diplomacy. Last Friday, Secretary of State Antony Blinken spoke with Russian counterpart Sergei Lavrov to urge him to accept the U.S. substantial proposal 
to secure the release of Griner and Paul Whelan, another American whom the government considers wrongfully detained. Blinken has declined to share details of the offer, but he has not denied reports that President Biden has signed off on trading a notorious Russian arms trafficker with high-level government and military intelligence connections. Victor Boot is serving a 25-year sentence in an Illinois federal prison for conspiring to kill Americans and sell weapons to Colombian terrorists. Griner's sentence and guilty verdict essentially ends one chapter of her detainment and begins another. Russia has hinted that it will more seriously engage in negotiations once Griner's trial is over. And the ultimate length of her stint in Russian prison will be determined by how long it takes Russia and the U.S. to negotiate a deal to bring her home. William Pomerantz, an expert on Russian law and politics, predicted that the Kremlin won't be in, in any hurry to accept the Biden administration's two-for-one offer for boot. Whereas Biden is under increasing domestic pressure to free Griner, Vladimir Putin doesn't face the same level of urgency to bring boot home. The U.S. pretty much laid its cards on the table, and now it's the Russians who are in the driver's seat, said Pomerantz, the acting director of Kennan Institute. They can now dictate whether this prisoner swap happens and how fast this moves. As Griner waited on the diplomatic negotiations, there was little she could do to help her own cause. She couldn't fight against the inevitability of a guilty verdict. All she had and her legal team could do was try in vain to make a case for a lenient sentence. On July 7th, Griner confessed inadvertently violating Russian law, telling the judge she packed in a hurry and mistakenly brought the vape cartridges with her. Griner's attorney subsequently summoned character witnesses and introduced mitigating evidence to corroborate WNBA star's account. The team captain and team director of Griner's Russian basketball club testified on her behalf and described her as an exemplary citizen on and off the court. Griner's lawyers also present the court with an American doctor's letter saying that Griner had been prescribed medical marijuana to help her cope with chronic pain from past basketball injuries. In the end, none of it mattered. As attorney and Russian legal expert Jameson Firestone said earlier this week, they're going to give her a lot of time. Then they're going to trade her. So, what do you think? How does this end up playing out? Well, what I'm going to do here is something that I normally don't do, but I want to get into some comments and some of the comments may be for or against but one person who goes by the name lisa says while i think the sentence is excessive and i feel sorry for her why doesn't miss griner warrant headlines and increased pressure by the u.s government for her release when there are other americans languishing in foreign prisons too what efforts are being made to get the other u.s citizens released and here are some more comments by a person that goes under the initials LMM consequences for dealing with Russia personal consequences for not knowing the law or ignoring their laws sad for her but she needs to accept her consequences for her actions 
guy by the name of Bob said this. I still have never heard about why the U.S. considers her wrongfully detained. She had illegal drugs crossing foreign borders. What part of putting her in jail is wrong? Mark said, now that she has been sentenced, they can begin negotiating. Griner, in exchange for the Ukraine, she has greatly complicated the negotiations over the Ukraine. With the extensive news coverage, Russia knows it can play hardball over her release and the press has undermined its own credibility by labeling her arrest as wrongful. She did violate Russian law and by saying she accidentally packed the drugs in her suitcase. The press has acted more like her defense lawyer than like a credible news source. So these are just some of the comments. Luke said this, she is guilty. If it was an average citizen, no one would be caring at all. She was warned not to travel there and is responsible for what's in her bag like any other human being is for traveling. Guilty and justice work. Check your bags and be responsible before traveling abroad. And if your country tells you not to travel somewhere, listen, don't whine after the fact and expect the country to save you. Nancy said, what is the difference between Brittany Griner and Mark Fogel? Griner was sentenced to nine years and Fogel 14 years. Why isn't our president trying to get him released? And I wish people would stop saying that Griner was wrongfully detained. She broke Russia's laws, so she is rightfully detained. She has been going there for six years, so she knew the laws and decided to break them. So those are some of the comments that people have had to make. And as you can see, some of the comments were not in Brittany Griner's favor. I've never been to Russia. I don't know all about Russian law, but something tells me that Russian law is vastly different from American law. Anyway, I do have some more to get to, but I will welcome your comments on what you think about this Britain brand situation. If you do leave a comment, one thing I will ask is that you be respectful with your comments. Don't need no name calling, don't need no belligerent attitude, just be respectful with your comments. Was a law broken? Yes, a law was broken. That cannot be denied. She was, she confessed that the law was broken. Whether it was intentionally or not intentionally, the only one that really knows that is Brittany Griner herself. Is the punishment harsh and stiff? For what the amount was, I would say yes, it was rather stiff and rather harsh. But I guess that's the difference between American law in Russian law. What may seem like a minute thing in America may seem like a major event in Russia. Anyway, A Train Sports Talk Podcast, your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. I will be back on the other side of this break. So don't you go nowhere. This train is still built up ahead of steam. 
your host and conductor, Anthony Smith, A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Train Sports Talk Podcast with your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. Grab your tickets, get on board, and enjoy the ride. It's the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. All aboard! Train Sports Talk Podcast with your host and your conductor, Anthony Smith. As we get ready for this next segment, the sports world is still rocking from the loss of not one, but two legends. One on the basketball side and one in the broadcast booth, Dan Scully. But I'm going to get back into talking some more about Bill Russell as to why Bill Russell is perhaps the most important player in NBA history. That's right. Why he was important, the most important player in NBA history. Not just the GOAT, but the most important. as I believe I may also have a little bit of audio to share before we get into that. If I choose to use it, and I choose to use it. The NBA lost perhaps its greatest champion on Sunday as Boston Celtics legend and civil rights activist Bill Russell died at the age of 88. Russell's list of basketball accomplishments is enormous and singularly unique. He led the University of San Francisco to two national championships and in 13 seasons with the Boston Celtics, Russell won 11 titles five MVP awards, and appeared in 12 All-Star games. On another time. What a block by Bill Russell on Shamo's Of course, Russell is also an Olympic champion and owns a 28-2 record in elimination games at the college, pro, and Olympic levels. Russell was a basketball pioneer on the defensive side of ball, functioning as a shot-blocking machine. But Russell also broke barriers, becoming the first African-American head coach in all of pro sports. And with two of his NBA championships coming as a player coach for the Celtics. This guy just didn't lose. 
Like, there's a reason the NBA Finals MVP trophy is named after him. But sports was just one facet of who Bill Russell was. He stood for something much, much bigger. And I'll let President Barack Obama take it from here. Bill Russell, the man, is someone who stood up for the rights and dignity of all men. He marched with King. He stood by Ali. When a restaurant refused to serve the black Celtics, he refused to play in the scheduled game. He endured insults and vandalism, but he kept on focusing on making the teammates who he loved better players and made possible the success of so many who would follow. And I hope that one day in the streets of Boston, children will look up at a statue built not only to Bill Russell, the player, but Bill Russell, the man. Russell received the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2011, and two years later, a statue of Russell was erected in Boston. Bill Russell was a giant among us. Just take a look at the number of current and former players honoring the icon. His impact on future generations of Hoopers just can't be overstated. Seriously, I couldn't be more proud of you than if you were my own son. The legend may be gone, but his presence will be felt forever. And Bill Russell will always be remembered as a winner and a champion. We'll leave you with one of Russell's greatest gifts, his sense of humor and his Hall of Fame caliber laugh. But I remember as a kid, I used to see fields of marijuana. Nobody knew what it was for. Except all the animals were walking around smiling. <laughs> the bigger the dream. <clears throat> Sorry. <laughs> the better chance you got to fulfill your uh, whatever. You'll be all right? No. <laughs> I'm the all-time greatest wrestler in league history. Oh, really? Okay. Second greatest wrestler in league history. Thought so. I tried to get as many as him. I couldn't get Lord. there. And then I was fighting this man. Right. With oh, a noble right. effort, though. Yeah. No effort. No effort. <laughs> something I normally don't do but that clip was well worth leading into this article so it's not enough to call Wilton William Felton Russell the greatest winner in the history of American sports because it would be too limited it's not enough to call Russell one of the seminal figures in the civil rights movement either although that would feel more accurate it's not enough one moment to define Russell in one box because the sports world as we know it doesn't know a world without Bill Russell in it. Russell died peacefully at the age of 88. His family announced Sunday afternoon. He was fully admired and appreciated, perhaps while being overlooked in the pantheon of individual talents the NBA has seen. The numbers won't fully contextualize the man, nor will the rings that adorn his worn and battered fingers. But when he is a part of the Russell story, as much as the city in which he played and initiated Celtic pride, even if the city loved him only 48 minutes at a time, 
and tolerated him at best when he wore civilian clothes. Russell operated under no delusions about where he played or the country he lived in. While he certainly spoke with clarity and force during the civil rights movement in the liberal enclave, Boston, Russell knew it was a battle fighting upstream with citizens of Boston often degrading his property with the most vile of acts, probably hide, hiding behind their cheers for the Celtics. Russell, being unapologetically black and forward-thinking, likely made a city look at itself, forcing Boston to hold itself accountable for what it told its visitors and the cold reality that awaited people without the protection of the Celtics franchise. It didn't seem like the city loved what was reflecting back to itself through images of the Celtics team that ran through the 1960s. Even as the Celtics dominated the NBA and Russell seemed to give his direct opponent, a guy named Will Chamberlain, the Blues. The beauty in Russell goes far beyond the winning and his own symbolism. There's no separation between the artist and his art and his humanity. A common exercise of cognitive dissonance practiced today to preserve our views of current stars. The man and the athlete stood tall. He was dangerous, woke, daring anyone to challenge his consciousness, his boots on the ground stripes, or his authenticity. Russell was a menacing while waiting on ambitious drivers to the lane as he was to the establishment during the Cleveland Summit in 1967. Russell, Jim Brown, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, among others, got together to voice support for Muhammad Ali's refusal to serve in the military during the Vietnam War. They took questions from the media and spoke truth to power to defend a then young Ali and his choice to avoid serving in an unpopular war. History has certainly aided them, but the risks were massive. Russell was 34 then and already aware of how ugly a nation and a city could be. His greatness off the floor didn't obscure what he did on it. Oh, the basketball was undeniably exceptional. You almost have to close your eyes to imagine his dominance. The NBA's archival footage wasn't as sophisticated as the NFL in that time. So through still photos, one can glean Russell's presence. The only thing that truly stands out is that infectious laugh and distinctive voice. Chamberlain's numbers are so outrageous compared to Russell's. So as an individual, he almost gets overshadowed. But I can pull that up real quick. There we go. But starting from Russell's arrival in 1956-57 to his last season in 1968-69, the Celtics had the league's best defense and captured all of those championship rings they didn't own before. Russell played with countless Hall of Famers, but they all pointed to his amazing ability to lift up everyone he played with. Russell enabling his teammates to be the best version of themselves while not commanding the ball or the attention and the glory feels similar to Tom Brady being the one-man stimulus package, something one has to see to believe. It's very easy to dismiss pre-merger basketball with the competition being split at a point with the ABA taking its share of talent and the lack of information and sophistication for its time. But can anyone imagine Russell with today's training methods, rest and recovery, and he 
with your travel accommodations? There would hardly be any question of whether an Olympic-style athlete with a ridiculous long jump could translate in any era. They repeatedly played the best competition. With so few teams in the NBA, Russell couldn't take any nights off. Routinely hoisting Chamberlain for thanks, hosting Chamberlain for Thanksgiving dinners, then having to defend the man who had such a pronounced size advantage one night later, hopefully buttering up Chamberlain with some hospitality beforehand. Russell wouldn't be Russell wouldn't be played off the floor with small ball lineups. He'd be harassing point guards and wings alike on switches while still getting back to scare anything at the rim. Block shots weren't even a stat until after Russell retired. But he started the fast break and beat the ball down on court to clean things up if one of his teammates didn't finish. Russell was Batman on the court and Bruce Wayne off it, being the hero Boston didn't deserve but got away, but got anyway. If he had access to today's technology, Russell would have been Superman, completely illegal to consider. Imperiferous to pain and leaping from the foul line to foul line in a single bound. The concentration Russell had to apply playing in Boston while knowing how to how his patrons knowing how his patrons truly felt for his kind once he took that jersey off it had to be unimaginable. Not wanting any part of the city for years after his retirement illustrated the damage it did to the man's psyche. The greatest winner unable to receive his deserved flowers because of the ugliness of the city and its unwillingness to acknowledge what it saw when looking in the mirror is an attribute that follows Boston today. And in a sports context, it started with Russell. Consider how Boston barks back now when opposing players produce stories of mistreatment and place it in the bottle to 1960s. Russell played with vigor on the floor and dignity off it surely upsetting those who wanted to claim Boston as the picture of progressiveness and righteousness. Someone broke into Russell's home and put feces across the man's walls and in his bed, all while he was under FBI surveillance due to his beliefs. Shockingly, the perpetrators of this crime were never found. Even a teammate Russell helped amplify, Bob Cousy, didn't lend his hand or voice to stand with him. The two seemed like a perfect duo on the floor point guard and center, but away from it operated like ships passing in the night. The resentment Russell could have had for teammates, the resentment we've seen for lesser issues since, didn't fester when it came to the task at hand. Russell had a job to do, and it manifested itself in 11 titles in 13 years. Putting a monopoly on winning, either the Celtics won or you had to see them to get yours. A pound of flesh hardly anyone came away with. The league was honored, has honored Russell with the NBA Finals MVP trophy, and before his health began to fail, he was paraded around at functions, award ceremonies, and the playoffs, bringing that laugh and famous middle finger with him. Russell never shied away from the work when it came to lifting all ties in between the lines, never avoided the reality of the time in which he played. A man of few words obscured the man who had so many thoughts and observations. The man who was never going to be swayed by any level of public opinion or culture. His principles were his own because only he could describe what he saw. 
It wasn't for anyone else to defend or understand. He wasn't asking for a cosign. It was more beauty in his beliefs. He wasn't a hater of current players who stood in his shoulders to make money beyond his wildest dreams, even if they never saw him play or fully appreciate him, a rarity in a sense. Bill Russell was a man of his time, in his time, and timeless, all at the same time. That is Bill Russell. So now I pose this question, which I did pose it on my last one. But who do you really consider the GOAT? Is it Michael Jordan? Is it Bill Russell? Is it about individual accomplishments? Is it about team accomplishments? Regardless of the era, Michael Jordan may be a GOAT. But I'm going to tip my hat off and say that Bill Russell is the GOAT. The greatest of all time. And the most important. You're listening to the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. This is your host and your conductor, Anthony Smith. Still building up ahead of steam. I have some more for you when I come back on the other side of this break. So don't you go nowhere. Stay on board and enjoy the ride. Because we're still building up that steam. Your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. Smith. It's time for us all to grow together. So, if you would like to have your ad ran on the A-Train Sports Talk podcast, simply reach out to me at a.trainsportstalk at gmail.com or at 316-553-2010. Or, if you would like to sponsor a segment, you can also reach me at a.trainsportstalk at gmail.com or 316-553-2010. So let's grow together. It is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. train sports talk podcast with your host and conductor anthony smith grab your tickets get on board and enjoy the ride it's the a train sports talk podcast all aboard
welcome back to the A Train Sports Talk Podcast with your host and your conductor, Anthony Smith. Hope you are enjoying the ride. Hope you are really enjoying the ride. Uh, like I said, I got a lot to get to today. And first of all, I want to thank my special guest first, which is an announcement uh, Assistant Sports Information Director at Sterling College, Jordan Manning. And shout out to another good friend of ours, mutual friend of ours, Brandy Tarver, for hooking this up because. Had it not been for her, we wouldn't be. So give a special shout out to her. And I'm pretty sure when she hears this, she'll be elated that she got some play uh, on my podcast. But now we're getting ready to shift into a different direction. We talked about the Brittany Griner situation. Then we elaborated more on some Bill Russell and just how important he was, not just on the court, but off the court with all that he had to endure. And now it makes you wonder, you know, even though there's one particular player who has a ownership share with the Boston Red Sox, how he went at the Boston Celtics basketball fan, one LeBron James. And you've heard others talk about the people in Boston, especially at Boston Celtics games. Now the question is, do Boston Celtic fans reflect how Boston, the city, is itself as far as dealing with the racism? Or is it just confined to Boston Celtic basketball fans? That's a question of interest, a question of something that probably needs to be talked about. But now we shift from that into the passing of another legend. One who knew how to tell the story of baseball. One who knew how to make you feel that even though you were thousands of miles away on the other side of the continent, you can listen to him call the game and feel like you're right there at the ballpark. The man lived a full life. Was knocking on 100. Came up six short. Passed away at the age of 94. One and scum. It will be said the Dodgers lost their voice. Were it only that? Vin Scully was their heart, their soul, their conscience. When they were down, he sang. When they were bad, he sighed. When they were good, he helped the other guy up. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung on and missed the perfect game. He was indeed the soundtrack for going on 70 summers in Brooklyn and in Los Angeles. In those towns, he was more than what the game sounded like. He was what the game felt like how it grazed our fingertips and brushed our cheeks on an August evening. If first base were an oak tree, second base a welcome mat, and third base our buddy's wadded t-shirt. Little roller up along first, behind the bag! It gets through Buckner! Here comes Knight and the Mets win it! The eulogies will be romantic because Vin Scully drew us into the romance, with the game, with the men who played it. He made it fun, and them human. 
See, this was never about Vin Scully. Not when he was a young man learning at the elbow of Red Barber in the early 50s. Not when he became the voice of the boys of summer. And certainly not when, years later, he became their honorable patriarch. Fastball is a high drive into deep left center field. Buckner goes back to the fence. It is gone. The Dodgers were going to be okay so long as Vin leaned into his microphone and gathered his audience. Hi, everybody, he'd say, followed by three hours of wisdom and laughs and occasionally a tear. It was baseball the way he saw it, which became baseball the way we saw it. He was the narrator with the twinkle in his eye who became our friend. He never threw a pitch for the Dodgers, never swung a bat. The Dodgers, however, won't ever be the same without him. Neither will the game. When he agreed to return for his 67th season, Scully quoted the poet Dylan Thomas. Do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying light. He smiled. I guess, he said, in a way that's what I'm doing. I'm raging against the dying of my career, which has to be around the corner now. But at least for the God-given time that I have left, I'll be raging. So now we can only say farewell and to thank him for keeping our world lit. Ben Scully. All I can say is he definitely belonged on Mount Rushmore of broadcasters, sportscasters, those who call the game. When you think about play-by-play guys, guys who call the games, you think about, and I'm telling my age a little bit, think about Ben Scully. Think about Howard Cosell. Those are two of the most prominent names that come to mind for me. John Madden. Those three right there occupy Mount Rushmore. And I will leave the rest up to you to name the rest. Ben Scully, the legendary broadcaster who spent 67 years as the golden-throated voice of the Brooklyn and Los Angeles Dodgers, just died. He was 94 years old. The Dodgers announced his death on Tuesday. A cause of death was not initially noted. It said here in a tweet, We have lost an icon, Dodgers President Stan Katzen said via a statement, Ben Scully, was one of the greatest voices in all of sports. He was a giant of man, not only as a broadcaster, but as a humanitarian. Scully, a Bronx native who became a baseball fan at the age of eight, began his broadcasting career at Fordham University after spending two years in the Navy. He called football and basketball games and also played baseball, even playing a game against future president George H.W. Bush who was on Yale University's baseball team. After graduating, he managed to find work 
as a fill-in at WTOP in Washington, D.C. in 1949, which ended up being his big break into sports announcing. He met Red Barber at WTOP, who would become Scully's mentor. Barber brought him along in 1950 when he was hired by the Dodgers, and in just three years, Scully became the youngest broadcaster to ever call a World Series at the age of 25. A year later, when, Bar- when Barber left to work for the Crosstown New York Yankees, Scully became the Dodgers' main announcer. He remained in that role until his retirement in 2016, relocating in 1958 when the Dodgers uprooted to Los Angeles. Scully's most memorable calls. Over the years, Scully was, a, was at the mic for countless special moments for the Dodgers. In many of those great calls, you can hear that Scully had a skill that every great broadcaster possesses, knowing when to stay quiet. In 2022, Scully said that Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's home run record in 1974 was the most important game he ever called. Once again, a standing ovation for Henry Aaron. So the confrontation for the second time. Aaron walked in the second inning. He means the tying run at the plate now. But we'll see what Downing does. Al at the belt delivers, and he's low, ball one. And that just adds to the pressure. The crowd booing. Downing has to ignore the sound effects and stay a professional in pitchers game. One ball and no strikes. Aaron waiting. The outfield deep and straight away. Fastball is a high drive into deep left center field. Buckner goes back to the fence. It is gone. in the deep south for breaking a record of an all-time baseball idol. And it is a great moment for all of us, and particularly for Henry Aaron, who was met at home plate not only by every member of the Braves, but by his father and mother. He threw his arms around his father, and as he left the home plate area, his mother came running across the grass threw her arms around his neck, kissed him for all she was worth. Scully, also named Kirk Gibson's miraculous home run from Game 1 of the 1988 World Series as his most theatrical call. And look who's coming up.
year long, they look to him to light the fire. And all year long, he answered the demands until he was physically the impossible has happened. Davis was way down there, almost as if he could have walked in. Not a bad pitch to handle for Hassey outside. Now watch when he starts to throw. Look at Gibson. And Harvey says, no, no, he had the base stolen. So Mike Davis, the tying run is at second base with two out. Now the Dodgers don't need the muscle of Gibson as much as a base hit. And on deck is the leadoff man, Steve Sachs. Three and two. Sacks waiting on deck, but the game right now is at the plate. High fly ball into right field. She is gone. In a year that has been so improbable, the impossible has happened. And popped up. And that was some more legendary calls from the one and only Ben Scully. And there are so many of these we could play for you, but I'm going to go ahead and give you, well, I think what I'm going to do. Just for nostalgia's sake, some of y'all might remember this, and some of y'all probably never heard this one. But this is Scully on the mic for Don Larson's legendary perfect game from Game 5 and the 1956 World Series and called Sandy Koufax's perfect game. So here's that call right
second time in baseball history, a World Series, where a perfect game has been pitched. 64,517 have seen it. Millions more on television. Don Larson pitches a perfect game, retiring 27 Dodgers in a row. As Sandy Koufax walked out to the mound to pitch a fateful ninth, where he turned in a no-hitter. But tonight, September the 9th, 1965, he made the toughest walk of his career, I'm sure, because through eight innings, he has pitched a perfect game. He has struck out 11. He has retired 24 consecutive batters. And the first man he will look at is catcher Chris Cruz, big right-hand hitter. Fly to center, grounded to short. Dick Trasuski is now at second base, and Koufax ready and delivers. Curve ball for a strike. <laughs> oh, and one to count to Chris Cruz. Out on deck to pinch hit is one of the men we mentioned earlier as a possible Joey Amalfitano. Here's the strike one pitch to Cruz. Fastball swung on and missed. Strike two. And you can almost taste the pressure now. Koufax lifted his cap, ran his fingers through his black hair, then pulled the cap back down, fussing at the bill. Cruz must feel it, too, as he backs out, heaves a sigh, took off his helmet, put it back on, and stepped back up to the plate. Krasuski is over to his right to fill up the middle. Kennedy is deep to guard the line. The strike two pitch on the way. Fastball outside, ball one. Krug started to go after it and held up, and Torborg held the ball high in the air, trying to convince Vargo, but Eddie said, no, sir. One and two, the count to Chris Krug. It is 9.41 p.m. on September the 9th. The one-two pitch on the way. Curveball, tap foul, off to the left of the plate. The Dodgers defensively. In this fine, tingling moment, Sandy Koufax and Jeff Torborg. The boys who will try and stop anything hit their way. Wes Parker, Dick Krasuski, Maury Wills, and John Kennedy. The outfield of Lou Johnson, Willie Davis, and Ron Fairley. And there's a 29,000 people in the ballpark and a million butterflies. 29,139 paid. Go back into his windup and the one-two pitch. Fastball foul back out of play. In the Dodger dugout, Al Ferrara gets up and walks down near the runway. And it begins to get tough to be a teammate and sit in the dugout and have to watch. Sandy, back of the rubber, now toes it. All the boys in the bullpen straining to get a better look as they look through the wire fence in left field. One and two, the count to Chris Cruz. Koufax, feet together, now to his wind-up in the one-two pitch. Fastball outside, ball two. A lot of people in the ballpark now are starting to see the pitches with their heart. The pitch was outside. Torborg tried to pull it over the plate, but Vargo, an experienced umpire, wouldn't go for it. Two and two, the count to Chris Cruz. Sandy reading signs into his windup, 2-2 two, two pitch. Fastball got him swinging. Sandy Koufax has struck out 12. 
He is two outs away from a perfect game. Here is Joe Amalfitano to pinch it for Don Kessinger. Amalfitano is from Southern California, from San Pedro. He was an original bonus boy with the Giants. Joey's been around, and as we mentioned earlier, he has helped to beat the Dodgers twice, and on deck is Harvey Keene. Kennedy is tight to the bag at third. The fastball, a strike. Oh, and one with one out in the ninth inning, one to nothing Dodgers. Sandy reading into his windup and the strike one pitch. Curveball, tap foul. Oh, and two. And Amalfitano walks away and shakes himself a little bit and swings the bat. And Koufax with a new ball takes a hitch at his belt and walks behind the mound. I would think that the mound at Dodger Stadium right now is the loneliest place in the world. Looks in to get his sign. 0 and 2 to Amalfitano. The strike two pitch to Joe. Fastball swung on and missed. Strike three. He is one out away from the promised land. And Harvey Keene is coming up. So Harvey Keene is batting for Bob Henley. The time on the scoreboard is 9.44. The date, September the 9th, 1965. And Koufax working on veteran Harvey Keene. Sandy into his windup, and the pitch, a fastball for a strike. He has struck out, by the way, five consecutive batters. And that's gone unnoticed. Sandy ready in the strike one pitch. Very high, and he lost his hat. He really forced that one. That's only the second time tonight where I have had the feeling that Sandy threw instead of pitched, trying to get that little extra. And that time, he tried so hard, his hat fell off. He took an extremely long stride to the plate, and Torborg had to go up to get it. One and one to Harvey Keene. Now he's ready. Fastball high, ball two. You can't blame a man for pushing just a little bit now. Sandy backs off, mops his forehead, runs his left index finger along his forehead, dries it off on his left pants leg. All the while, Keene just waiting. Now Sandy looks in. Into his windup and the 2-1 pitch to Keene. Swung on and missed. Strike two. It is 9.46 p.m. Two and two to Harvey Keene. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung on and missed a perfect game. And there you have it. Some highlights from... Ben Scully, and I know some of you listening probably saying, wow, that was a lot of video footage, a lot of audio, uh, but, you know, sometimes you just have to pay homage. I'm pretty sure there's been a lot of homage paid 
to one of the greatest broadcasters of all time. Like I say, you take him, you take Howard Cosell, you take John Madden, and those are my three that are going to be on the Mount Rushmore of uh, broadcasting games, sportscasters, whatever you want to call them. Those are my three that's on that Mount Rushmore, and like I say, y'all can fill in the rest. But I'm starting with those three right there. Anyway, as we look more into this, as my time is growing near, some of Scully's greatest calls weren't related to plays at all. He was often at his best when he was telling stories and relaying information you never thought you needed to know. In his final year as a broadcaster, Scully spent nearly five minutes educating everyone about the history of beards. His career beyond the Dodgers, while many people know Scully as the voice of the Dodgers, he lent his pipes to golf, tennis, football, and non-Dodgers baseball games. He called nationally televised baseball games for NBC in the 1980s, including three World Series and several All-Star games. He was at the mic for Game 6 of the 1986 World Series between the New York Mets and Boston Red Sox, and his voice provided the backdrop for one of the most memorable moments in World Series history. He called football games in the late 1970s and early 1980s and worked with John Madden during his very first year as an NFL broadcaster. When Madden died in late 2021, Scully shared his moments of Madden with with NFL Network and said that he knew right from the start Madden had a gift for broadcasting. He said he was bigger. He was bigger than himself. His heart was bigger than anything else. And I loved his laugh. One of Scully's most memorable football calls came from 1982, when San Francisco 49ers quarterback Joe Montana found Dwight Clark in the end zone in the in the 1981 NFC Championship game. That touchdown and extra point gave the Niners a one point lead over the Dallas Cowboys with less than a minute left and paved the way for the Niners to win the Super Bowl. That play is simply called the catch. Well, there is so much more I can go on with this story, but my time is drawing near. But I hope you enjoy the audio clips of some of the greatest games that Ben Scully called. Someone may have seen lengthy, but what better way to pay tribute to a legend? So it is the A-Train Sports Talk podcast, your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. Get ready to bring this train into the station. I hope you have enjoyed the ride. As much as I've enjoyed being your conductor. Like I said, you listen to the best podcast in all the state of Kansas someday. Once again. Special thanks to my guest, Jordan Manning, and his new job endeavor at Sterling College. Wish him nothing but the best. And I know that the sky is the limit for that young man. Hope you've enjoyed the stories that I've presented to you. This is probably one of my longest podcasts I've produced in a long time, but I hope it was well worth it. Hope you enjoy every bit of the content that was put out today please feel free to leave a comment once again i have to give you my disclaimer that uh 
Anchor is powered by Spotify. So when I pose questions and I post the link to where you can listen to this, it's usually via Spotify. That way I can engage with you, the listeners out there, and uh, you can leave your comments. There's like a poll question, and there's also a question where you can leave comments. So until the next time, take care of yourself and each other. Be blessed and be a blessing. This is A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. I'm signing out. Thank you.